Welcome to See Things Differently, a podcast from Remix Summits in collaboration with our series partner, the UK government and Time Out. I'm your host, Peter Tullen, and your guide to the future of the creative economy. This podcast is for creatives who want to be creative entrepreneurs. I believe we are in the age of the creator, and it's also big business, with the creative industries generating an incredible $2 trillion globally each year. Over the last few years, thousands of delegates to Remix events have gathered in leading creative cities such as London, New York, Sydney and Istanbul to hear from the visionaries behind merging creative powerhouses such as Meow Wolf, Punch Drunk, Secret Cinema and Team Lab, alongside established names such as Glastonbury, Burning Man and MoMA. See Things Differently is a new platform for us to share the stories of the pioneers who are building the new creative economy. Creative entrepreneurs are driving whole new industries such as immersive entertainment, taking advantage of the growth of the experience economy to build immersive worlds that have captivated millions of people. Others such as creative technologists and a new generation of creators are shaping the future of storytelling and unlocking the potential of emergent technologies such as virtual reality. They are driving the content revolution and creators will be central to the metaverse, which the likes of Mark Zuckerberg are predicting will be the next evolution of the internet. I also believe creative entrepreneurs could offer some of the answers to how we build back better from the global pandemic. Finally, if you like what you hear, there are literally hundreds more talks from Remix events all around the globe at remixsummits.com. And better still, many of them are free, so what's not to like? Now, without further ado, on to our guest today. In this episode, we chat to Julio Bruno, the global CEO of Time Out. Founded in 1968, many of us know Time Out as an iconic brand that helps us discover the best things to do in over 328 cities and 58 countries, reaching more than 217 million people. One of the reasons I wanted to chat with Julio is that in a challenging and rapidly changing media landscape, he has been not only able to build its media business, but to develop a series of new timeout concepts that have transformed the organization, but in a way that remains faithful to its roots and founding mission. The biggest example of this is timeout markets that were born in 2014 when his Lisbon team came up with an idea to transform a disused building in the city into a concept that brought the best of the city under one roof. The timeout market in Lisbon quickly became the most popular tourist attraction in Portugal with a staggering 4 million plus annual visitors. This success has led to further openings in cities including New York, Boston, Chicago and Montreal with London and Prague to follow next. A Spanish national based in London, Julio previously held senior positions at companies such as TripAdvisor, Energizer and Diageo, and his varied business, cultural and life experiences have helped him make connections that have led to new ideas and innovation for Time Out, and are clearly a key motivation for him in everything that he does. It is clear from our conversation that for both Julio and for Time Out, that the company's social purpose is as important as its business success. Julio is incredibly open and candid about the impact of the global pandemic on the business, which was both devastating for Time Out 
and of course the community that they represent. What does a brand that helps people enjoy going out do when the world is in lockdown? Well, sometimes necessity is the mother of invention, as the philosopher Plato wrote, and their response was pretty ingenious, as you will hear. For me, it is one of the best pivots performed by any organisation in the lockdown. As Julio explains, in an amazingly short space of time, time out became time in, and he and his team set about a whole new mission to create a million pages that helped us make the best of being stuck at home. Finally, Time Out and Julio, as you might expect, have a lot to say about cities, with thousands of readers contributing to their polls, covering subjects such as the coolest neighbourhoods and the best cities in the world. It's Norobro, Copenhagen and San Francisco in 2021, by the way. And we end our chat by exploring the opportunities and challenges for our cities as we begin to emerge from the pandemic. So, Julio, welcome to See Things Differently. Absolute pleasure to have you uh, on the pod. My, my first question is, for those that don't know anything about you, I'd, I'd like to know a little bit more about your kind of background, uh, your journey to, to, you know, before you got to Time Out, to understand what kind of motivates you, what shaped you as a, as a leader, as an innovator, as an entrepreneur. Well, first of all, thank you, Peter, to have me in your podcast. Um, lovely seeing you. Last time we saw each other here in London, but before that, we were in Singapore before COVID. That, that was right. time. And now the world is coming back out. And, you know, I've been this weekend in Spain, I went in, been to the theater, been to the movies here, and it seems that the world is slowly coming back. So it's good to see you live, Peter. Oh, it's, it's, it's lovely. And, and hopefully we'll be back to um, such great surroundings again before too long. Yeah. So you're asking me what made me me, I guess. Uh, hmm. uh, we um um so how long have we got <laughs> in fact, it's enough, it's all right now uh before time out i've been always uh, an international uh, person you know I, I i i hold a dual nationality spanish and american uh that reflects because my life as i've been living in many different countries i came in the uk in 1993 right after you could, you know, part of the European Union free movement of, of people. And I came here to the UK and uh, studied here as well and in the USA and, you know, have lived here and New York and Chicago and Paris and obviously Madrid, Barcelona, so many places. So one thing that defines me above everything else is my international global outlook. I see the world as a world, or I try to see it as a world with different people, with different cultures, but all part of the same. I like to think that we are all social animals, so regardless of uh, COVID, and that's what we tend to. Mm. And I guess that my my life in uh, the town that I was born in, Gijón, in the north of Spain, Asturias, uh, it was too small for me. Uh, and then Madrid was too small for me, and then Spain was too small for me, and I guess then London was small for me. <laughs> Not that I'm either I'm very big or I'm just like I have delusions of grandeur, meaning what is big, what is small. And I think that the only thing that I feel comfortable in is almost is just this thinking globally about you know everything from culture to uh, companies to solving issues. Um, and, and part of that international international outlook of mine means that I've been working mainly in few sectors like travel uh, for many years and, and tourism and e-commerce and media related 
uh, enterprises and in all of them, the common thread was that internationality uh, of, of outlook, if you want. Um, so before Time Out, I was a TripAdvisor and I was uh, managing sales for the business to business division worldwide. And before that, I was in companies, you know, from uh, Travelport, uh, Diageo, Energizer, Regis, et cetera, et cetera. And, and besides that, I've been involved for many years now in the startup communities and startup companies as an investor, board director, advisor, and I keep doing a little bit of in angel investment. Um, in companies in different sectors, from you know sustainability and um, health to uh, uh, to e-commerce or insurtech, depending, you know, it depends. Uh, now I'm involving a couple of others that go from a coffee shop uh, roasting plant to uh, something to do with uh, dental uh, salivary markers for dental health. Uh, a company called Flow. So, you know, a little bit, uh, a little bit of everything, as you can see. Wow, it's a really um, broad spectrum, and it, and it sounds like you've got this um, yeah range of influences both internationally and within business. Uh, is and is is it that sort of mixture of different things that sparks new ideas for you? Never thinking just in one sector or just in one space. Yeah, actually, yes. I mean, I think it's creativity. You know, the the one thing that attracted attracted me to Time Out was that a creative industry. Right, and whatever you have to use your imagination, your creative powers, the creative powers of your team, I, I find it more interesting. And if the world, by definition, or cities of the world were too small, you know, then the world at large is much more interesting and much more creative, because mm. you can draw from so many different cultures and people and challenges that allow you to affront or to front life and problems of life and challenges from many different perspectives. So that thing about in the outside looking in, but sometimes it's also in the in looking outside, you know, it's kind of both things. And I I guess also my mind works that way. I like to be, you know, when they oh, you're always multitasking. I said, well, I guess so. You know, I like to do mm. many things at the same time. If I can, it's just the way my brain works. Great. So look, that, that brings our story um, up until the point that you uh, you joined Time Out. And look, I think everybody would say Time Out, it's a really iconic brand. But, you know, for those that are perhaps less familiar, could you perhaps tell us a little of the story of Time Out up until the point that you joined? Appreciate that's quite a big story. Um, but also, I think, interestingly, like, where did they find themselves at that moment in time where you joined in a really rapidly changing media environment? And you mentioned your background coming from places like TripAdvisor, it presumably was an interesting point in the world. Uh, well, yeah, the, the story of Time Out it started by Tony Elliott, rest in peace, he passed out. Um, uh, he passed, sorry, um, in 2020, summer 2020. Um, so we miss him, but he started in 1968 in London in his kitchen table with 75 pounds of his birthday money as a 20 year old, 19, 20, 21, more or less year old. And, um, and what he wanted was to basically create something for himself at the time it was not even a magazine. It was like a, a piece of, uh, you know, a four folded into, you know, like eight pages and he realized that whatever he was interested on, he wasn't there in the tabloids of the day, in the newspapers of the day. They wanted to know what was cool and 
and different and alternative and sometimes counterculture in London. And so he basically created a magazine for himself. And a lot of people realized that they actually wanted something like that. And obviously at the time, we are talking, you know, swinging 60s in, in, in Britain and in London in particular, you know, Cannabis Street and all those things happening. Uh, and there was no internet, which people now forget. So you, you needed to read, you know, what to do. It was impossible for you to know what all the things were happening in a city like London. Um, and if you were only looking the, at, you know, the newspapers of the day, they were very conservative. You wouldn't find, you know, the punk concert or whatever, you know, artistic exhibition somewhere very fringe or off, 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 off West Broadway kind of thing, you know, that, 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 um, West End, sorry, no, but Broadway, I'm mixing my cities here. Um, and, and he did that and people loved it and started growing and, then at some point he started to inter internationalize it, but it was mainly for him. He said, "Well, a way to make money, you know, to have franchises in places like New York or Chicago, and then around the world." And today the company is in three hundred and twenty-eight cities in fifty-three um, countries and counting um, digitally mainly, but also in some places magazines, although less so after COVID. You know, it's much more a digital endeavor. And also, you know, the expansion that we'll talk in a minute, if you want, about the Tamar market, you know, that it started in 2014. So when I joined in 2015, at the end of 2015, the company had a name, a brand. I approached them because I thought that I could help them. They were not looking for me or my profile in particular. But I thought uh, I saw opportunity and I approached the owners, a private equity company called Oakley, who owned the company outright. And um, and I think that they, obviously, they liked what I had to say about the company. They wanted to do something similar and they wanted to expand the company uh, and expand the time out market, market concept that they just bought from the franchisee in Portugal, you know, two months earlier. And to me, the idea was that a new timeout, being a traveler, seeing in hotels around the world and in cities, but what I found out, it was a company that was very, in a way, optimized, being super hyper-local. You know, so Time of Sydney was Time of Sydney, and, uh, and Time of London was Time of London. And they were like two different companies, and actually they were owned by different people. And I set out to, to bring them together, bought uh, the different franchises around the world, uh, not all of them, but many of them, to create a global brand not just a local brand as it was, but I wanted to create a global brand in the, in the tradition of what Tony was thinking about the world of culture and entertainment. And, and I wanted to do that as well and with the team. And that's what we have been doing for the last six years. Yeah, interesting. So it, it then seems um, there was this kind of big sort of uh, shift, I, I guess, and that, you know, you have the, uh, the time at markets uh, appearing. Um, and it seems that the original Time Out market in Lisbon was very much a transformational moment for the business, as far as I can see. Um, and, and what fascinates me about it, it's, it's a really innovative idea, but it also still feels very rooted in the original mission of Time Out as a curator brand. And perhaps you could tell me a little bit more about the project and what led to the idea. Uh, was it a light bulb moment or was this something that was evolving over time? 
Um, the timeout market was created by the, well, at the time was a franchisee in Portugal, the timeout Portugal team. And they, you know, led by the editor-in-chief at the time, Joao Cepeda, which is, who is still now a president of the timeout market for, for timeout. He and the team there, uh, Ana Alcobia and others, uh, had this idea, well, if timeout is the best of the city, let's put the best of the city under one roof. And there was an opportunity of this very round-down building used to be an old market uh, owned by the, you know, the city of Lisbon. And they had the opportunity to present uh, an RFP, a request for proposal from the government to how to transform a space that will represent Lisbon, will represent the culture of Lisbon, etc. And they thought, well, you know, if we talk about the best of the city, why don't we invite some of these people to be their chefs, to be their bars, to be their shops, and then create cultural entertainment, art, theater, etc., concerts, etc. So they, on their own, uh, you know, they 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 got the license or the agreement from the from Tony Elliott in London from Time Out, and they set up to set up to to get you know financing, etc. And they did on their own, and then they established the brand, you know, the uh, sorry, the Tamar Market at the end of well, of the middle of two thousand and fourteen. Um, and soon after, the new owners of Time Out, the brand, uh, as I said, Oakley Lim- Investing Limited, they uh, approached them and bought the Time Out Market brand outright from them. And then two months later, I, already with me in charge, I bought the, for Time Out, uh, we bought the Time Out Portugal media side of the company as I was buying the others around around the world. And so at that time, uh, Tamar Market, uh, you know, was a, uh, if you want a, a division or a different division of Time Out, very different, you know, hospitality, etc. And we have the CEO, we, we named Didier Suiliat, you know, a few months afterwards, and he joined us at the beginning of 16, still with us as CEO of the Tamar Market. And since then, you know, you have these two divisions, Tamar Media, Sometimes we call it Tamar Digital and Tamar Market that are, you know, part of the same uh, the same brand. You know, I like to say sometimes one brand, one company, one team, but it's two different things, right? In the sense that one is dedicated to information and inspiration and discovery, which about the world's entertainment and culture. And the other one is about the best chefs of the city under one roof, the best food experience, also with cultural concepts, which is the timeout brand comes to life in, you know, doing from, you know, jazz concerts to drag queen bingo or to yoga in the mornings or painting and drinking and eating, etc. And we have around 140 of the best chefs of the world and growing in seven cities. Another four cities have been announced and more coming. Um, and yeah, that evolution of the Tamar market from the point of view of a media company, you can think that Tamar market is also content. It's just content in a different format, basically food and drinks and then the entertainment that you do there. And you go, timeout goes from talking about the best things that happen in, in a city to being part of the best things that happen. In a city, and that, if you want, almost vertical integration of time, I was something that I saw very, you know, before I joined, and I thought we have to put this together because I think it will be very powerful. 
besides that, you know, the media world has been in turmoil for many, many years with the advent of internet and information and disinformation and all the social media channels, their platforms. And so as a one title brand, I didn't know even anybody that could survive just being, you know, one brand. You know, mainly media companies have a lot of brands for different verticals. And time out, we did it differently. We diversify into the food element, into food. And obviously, we have e-commerce as well. We sell tickets as, as well as talk about things. But the diversification of time out market, we immediately knew was going to be much bigger, much more distinct, very unusual in a way, but very natural at the same time. And, um, and that meant that, you know, both companies were growing and growing fast and, and continued to become, you know, that idea of time out. And yes, then something happened, which was called COVID, that hit the entertainment industry and the media dedicated to entertainment much harder than many other sectors, obviously putting aside uh, the drama in itself and the tragedy of, of COVID uh, in itself. I'm talking about the business wise mm. and uh, you know when you're called time out and the whole world is in, indoors it's very difficult to to even see well wh wh who are you but we can talk about that later if you want yeah uh, i mean just to yeah briefly sort of step back in that in that journey to that that first market i mean i mean for me it's a really clever move because it, it it's still in sync with with what time out's all about in terms of its core values and and and, and mission and but it was phenomenally successful, wasn't it? I mean, from what I understand, you know, four million odd visitors, obviously in a pre-pandemic world, and, and hopefully you'll, you'll get back to that sooner rather than, than later. It's, it's become a way of obviously experiencing uh, Lisbon, and and presumably that's having flow-on benefits for the people that you're working with, your partners on the market, and and is it also impacting on the city or that part of the city? Because I saw other. You know what would strike me as kind of related organisations, people like Second Home. You know, I know are sort of co-located in that area as well. So there's there's obviously quite a kind of mushroom effect has come out of that that market. Yeah, in particular in Lisbon, yeah, four four point four point one million people visited the market in two thousand and nineteen. Uh, that's around you know twelve thousand people per day. And today that is reopened. It's still with some limitation on capacity, mm. but it's growing very fast, and we have thousands and thousands of people every day. And it's growing back up. It's it's a phenomenal concept, but not just Lisbon. But Lisbon is being the largest and being the original. Um, and about the, the the area, you know, second home actually is our tenant in in the market, so it's our space. And and we have a, another part of the space overlooking the market that we thought would be perfect for this. And then we um, uh, so we invited him uh, them in, uh, and you know they are. Obviously, they love being there, and we love them being there as well. But also, that was part because the actual space was so large for us. I mean, it's mm. the largest one. They have around 40 establishments, you know, many restaurants and some shops. And, you know, it's quite, quite large. It's 75,000 square feet, so it's, it's a very large uh, area. Um, but the area, in, in particular in Lisbon, that was a very rundown area of town uh, in need of TLC, which we mm. gave them. By spades and 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 now is the most vibrant part of of town as well. And the market is uh, the rigor uh, place that you have to visit if you are a if you are a guest in Lisbon, a beautiful city that, that tourists love to go. 
um, and Taman Market is part of their itinerary today. And then we have replicated that in cities from Chicago to New York to Boston, Montreal, Dubai, which is the one that we just opened this year. Uh, and all of them are redefined in the areas that we, I mean, in the case of Dubai, some management agreement that we did in the Sukh al-Bahar, the area was, um, you know, a, a mall by the Dubai mall, which is kind of, well, you already are in the Dubai mall. What are you going to do with another mall by it? And so it was not very successful when we joined. And now you cannot get in. You cannot get in wow. every day since we opened in March this year. And it have revitalized the whole area as well. And that part of the complex by the Dubai Mall, which drives me to think about how landlords are looking, uh, you know, developers are looking at timeout market as a solution to, to their big problem that they face now. They were facing it before COVID, but now it has accelerated, which is how do I attract people to, to my buildings? And how, uh, how do I attract footfall, quality footfall? It's very difficult because a lot of questions now with COVID offices maybe not open or open part-time. How do I bring value? And they see more and more, even now, even more so now, they see time on market as part of the solution. Yeah, that's really interesting. As you say, we're entering a, a kind of changing world. And I guess um, it sounds like from, from that perspective, could could every new market location be different? I mean, if, if, if Lisbon, was, I guess, was your startup, um, you know, you're now in that sort of scale-up phase, aren't you, in terms of the markets, rolling it out to, to multiple locations. Um, you know, what lessons have you learned uh, along along the way? As you say, is each kind of business model slightly different depending on whether you're working with developers or you're, you know, taking out the, the lease yourself? How, how do you see that sort of side of it evolving, as, as you say, especially where cities are facing new challenges? Well, we, we have evolved ourselves. You know, we started bring, building our own and spending quite a lot of funding to, to, to mm. bring these babies to life. And then we realized that we could actually do this with uh, with other people's money, meaning, yeah. you know, you you are a developer, you want this incredible brand and traffic and food traffic to your to your place. We can do that, and then we started doing management agreements, which is what we do now. A management agreement is we run it, we design it, we hire the people, we we do everything, but. It is paid by the landlord, or by the developer, not not by timeout. And timeout receives a, a fee for doing that, a guaranteed fee, which is a model that we have opened Dubai or Montreal, or in the future Prague and Abu Dhabi, etc. So uh, that model also evolved because we realized that we had something in our hands that people really wanted, uh, the consumer, but also the developer that the, the value of the property around their property uh, was very positively positively impacted by it. And then we were not leaving, you know, the upside for us was gone because we don't own the building. So by doing a management agreement is our way to say, well, okay, we are taking, you know, you're spending the money and you're going to get all the rewards of the value generated around the area and in your own building. So that's why we are asking for a management fee to run it and to do it and to bring the brand and the curation and they're choosing the best chefs of every city and attracting them in the first place to these to these locations. And that's our expertise. That's expertise that Didier and Joao and the team uh, are together with the timeout editors who, you know, curate the best of the city and, and then invite 
the chefs and the, and the different people to, to the market. So uh, that evolution for us means that now we have more contests than ever uh, post-COVID. As, as landlords saying, well, I have a problem in my hands, a challenge to resolve. And the retail industry has been changing a lot because of online. Um, difficult to att attract paying tenants who want to, you know, pay lease and and sell their, I don't know, clothing or whatever. And that has changed the retail, the high street in the world. And and that's why looking at concepts like Time Out Market, which is, you know, the best food hall in the world, then they see bringing that brand and the brand association of Time Out to their locations is something that, you know, is working. And it's, and it's also a win-win for Time Out, right? Because you are also you know, creating the best experience, uh, doing concerts, doing other other things that are very, very interesting and very time-outy, if you mm. mind me using that expression. Um, and that's why this one plus one equals three. I just wanted to take a few moments to talk about our latest remix collaborator, the UK government, who are the series partner for See Things Differently. To celebrate this link-up, over the next few episodes, we're going to be exploring the stories of a number of UK-based innovators. I'm also excited about this collaboration because the first ever Remix Summit took place in the UK in London back in 2014. 300 creatives gathered from sectors such as the arts and technology at Bloomberg's European headquarters in the heart of the city to explore the future of the creative industries, creative cities and the creative economy. Remix was designed to be a platform that would bring together creative thinkers from different industries to connect and develop new ideas. I believe that one way to spark innovation comes from the meeting of diverse minds. I think of these melting pots as the collision economy. They create an environment where you can see things differently. This collision effect is most powerful in locations where there is a large creative ecosystem and talent base in countries such as the UK. For example, did you know that the UK is ranked fourth in the world in the Global Innovation Index? There's over a hundred tech unicorns, that's companies with a valuation over a billion dollars, in the UK, which was the third country to pass this milestone. It also ranks number three in terms of venture capital investment globally. If you're interested in finding out more about doing business in the UK, then visit great.gov.uk forward slash remix to find out more. Now back to the show. You talked about the consumer, um, and I think for, for me, what you're talking about is very much tied in in the, in the growth and the evolution of the experience economy. And I, I saw this great stat the other day, which was that you know three in four millennials would now rather buy an experience than a product. Um, and, and it feels like time out, as you say, is very much part of this growth of, of the experience economy. And, and, and obviously, that's something that time out, I guess, looks at more generally. You know, that's one of the things that you, you talk about, obviously, on the, on the media side of things. Um, and with changes in the high street, malls, all of those things, could you talk to me about how you see the experience economy developing over the next five to, to 10 years? Because it feels like a real trend. Well, the experience economy is something that I remember talking in the, the beginning of the 2000s. 
already in the in the tourism industry, right? Yeah, it's, it's definitely that, not new, is it? But it feels like it's, it's going into hyperdrive. I mean, maybe maybe COVID's going to make us want it even yeah. more as well. Yeah, I don't know. Well, it's funny because it's now hybrid, right? You have a lot of experiences that are virtual, right? You go to a museum virtually, you see opera, a stream, a video on demand. All these things have changed, have accelerated a lot to having that experience from the you know from the comfort of your seat at home. Let's call it that way, you know, hmm. the proliferation of Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime and all these Disney Plus, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It also has given us more choice than ever. And see, if you put, you know, the cost of travel and tourism and all the other inconveniences within a pandemic situation, you can see how people then decide, well, I'm going to do all this thing from home. However, when the experience moment comes, when the travel comes, then it's more wanted more than ever, because now we have suffered for at least two years, at least two years of this deprivation, depriva- dep- sorry, deprivation of, um, of, of, of travel and meeting friends and being with somebody else and, and in a face-to-face contact, and we are fed up of, you know, Zoom fatigue, etc. that the experience in itself, now we're going to be, or we are already much more, uh, you know, demanding. I want to take my two hours or three hours or my three days or one week, and I want to spend it very well. So I want my experience to be exceptional. And I'm not going to just go out for the sake of going out and it's going to be, oh, that was an awful day or whatever. No, I'm going to make sure that if I go to a restaurant, I'm going to go to something that I really like to do, that I want to do. I'm happy to pay for it if I have the quality, the space, the location that I want. If I'm going to a theater, I'm going to be sure that I'm going to go to something that I know is something that I like in principle. Okay, maybe then the play wasn't great, but I'm going to then read and uh, inform myself with reviews. Is this something I'm going to spend my time? The same about going to to travel to some place. If you put aside, the, the obviously, the limitations now, COVID passports, etc. But in a normal world with no passports anymore other than the normal passports, then you say, well, why do I go there? What am I going to experience? And it cannot be, if, if I may use like in China and 20 years ago, it was like five countries, five days, or five days, five countries, or seven days, seven cities. And, you know, you were not, you were a tourist. You clearly were not a traveler. And that's, I think, that the, the experience today that the people are looking for, the consumer is looking for something meaningful, making connections. And also, yes, there are things like, sustainability as well. I want to, you know, I'm more conscious than ever of my carbon footprint. So the newer generations, they are very aware of these things. So they're going to use, they are using their time in a much more specific way. Mm-hmm. And then traveling itself, uh, itself, which is obviously becoming much more expensive for all the reasons that we know, partly because of the pandemic and the lack of you know, people dropping from the workforce and they are realizing, you know what, I don't want to work nine to five anymore for uh, uh, 800 euros or 800 pounds a, a month, I'm just gonna, not going to do that. I'm going to be freelancing and make less money, but I'm going to have more time for myself. That's something that we just didn't have before COVID. Mm. And now we have. And I think that's also going to change the way that you're going to experience your life. And you're going to try and choose how you're spending in a much more, you know, inspiring way, if I may say. Yeah, I think you're right. I think they're very um, profound changes. And I think, uh, yeah, clearly time out right in the middle of them. So it's going to be yeah, an interesting time over the next years. And perhaps we'll, we'll get into the future in a moment. 
Um, I'm going to change tack a little bit now. And, and um, look, you know, you're, you're as, as I mentioned, you're an iconic UK brand. You're, you're headquartered in the UK. Um, the UK is known as obviously having a, you know, internationally renowned creative and cultural industry sector, um, you know, kind of F&B, entertainment, uh, but also quite a big tech ecosystem these days. Um, and I'm interested in whether, you know, being in the UK, being in, in areas obviously like London as a, as a growing sort of tech capital, whether that's made much of a difference to your journey o- over the last few years. Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, being in a city like London, like when you're in a city like New York, for instance, another, you know, second city for me, um, you are exposed to everybody who's looking for the same thing that you look for. If it's culture, if it's art, you're going to find like-minded people that want the same, and cities are a magnet for that. Mm. And that's why cities are also uh, this melting pot that brings people from all over. And cities tend to be very progressive in their thinking because they have to cater for so many people. And then people tend to find other people like themselves in those cities and be themselves for the first time, maybe in the, in the, the, the town or in the village that you were born and nobody understood you and you didn't understand anybody. You felt different. You liked something that they didn't like, or you couldn't find other people like you, but in the mm-hmm. city, sheer numbers as well allow you to, uh, to, to find that like, like-minded people. And because of that, the creativity that happens in those cities, the atmosphere, the, the vanguard, things that you see in a city experience are very, very enriching. And to me, London clearly represents that. It's a super, super creative city. It's one of the most diverse uh, cities in the world. Um, And because you are exposed to so many different cultures and different uh, people with different, you know, genders and non-genders and and, and, um, sexual orientation and likes of uh, dislikes of art or other things that actually you are bombarded by culture and by diversity and by um, all the creative elements that a melting pot like London gives you. And to me, when I started this discussion about me being global and being a citizen of the world and an apprentice of, of, of living in the world, London is that microcosmos that, that allows you to to fulfill a lot of the things that, that, that you wish for and that maybe that you don't know about the world and about yourself. And it's much easier to find that in a city as vibrant and as diverse as London. Yeah, great. Now, look, Julio, that was something of a leading question because I know you're a man who's very passionate about cities and something of an oracle um, on cities as well. So, look, I, I really uh, love your podcast as well, you know, Your City or Mine. Um, I, I find it look really insightful in terms of, um, you know, the various people that you're chatting about in terms of some of the innovations that are, you know, shaping our cities, reshaping our cities in these interesting times. Now, this is probably the biggest question of all of the questions that I'm going to ask you in this interview. But look, could you pull out um, some of the observations, trends, predictions you might make about the future of cities? Wow. Well, you know, uh, tomorrow is, in, I think, number 15 or the end of first season of Your City or Mine with people from all over the world, from architects to 
politicians to uh, art directors to I don't know business women and to so many different people and all with the common questions of you know your city tell us about your city and and one of the things that one of the threads that come out everybody out of this is that people want much more um, uh, cities that are built around the people. Uh, of today with a lot of the post-COVID kind of thinking, you know, we want more green, greener cities, more sustainable. Sustainability is a big word that almost everyone used, where I have more choices for culture and for my entertainment that is much socially um, relevant as well. And in cities that are built in order to live in them, not survive in them. And, and by that, I mean, you know, cities have been many that were just made, you know, speculation of, you know, building sites and building sites and the, 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 the citizen was not very much uh, at the center of it. And now we want more because we know more because we live in the world and we can see how other places are doing it and how better cities are doing. And then you want that. And one of the things that I, in, in the podcast is when I always ask, what is your city? And many times I think I know what is going to be the answer. But then they tell you, well, you know, London, but actually a second one, Istanbul. And you say, well, London, Istanbul, or, or when I was talking to Jess Scully in Australia, she said, well, Sydney, yeah. I also want to have this of Barcelona, and I want to have this of Hong Kong, and this of Singapore, and this of New York. Actually, she wanted, she wanted all of them. But the funny thing, the funny peculiar, the way she was talking about it as deputy mayor in Sydney, is that she said, well, this is what I see in cities around the world, and I want each, a little bit of each one to make my perfect city. Now, no matter how much I love my city, in this case, Sydney, which she does, mm. but this, how, how can I improve the city? And it, it was quite interesting that almost all of the, uh, if not all, the, 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 the guests were saying similar things without necessarily having listened to each other, right? Many of them said, no, I haven't listened to on purpose because I want to be fresh and, and not repeat anything. And it's, People are looking at cities as a place to have life, to live in a different way. And by that, I mean in, in a post-corona world, when your life and your work are almost one and the same, because you are working from home, on and off now, uh, that means that you have brought people into your home. Suddenly, I was having meetings with people, and they were in their kitchen. I never done that before. That was rare, and now it's normal. So they enter into your home, you enter into their home, not just your employees or your guests or your sorry or your um, colleagues, but also your b b clients and and consumers. And suddenly, everybody's in everybody's home, and so then we want to enjoy that city in a much different way. Above all, if I'm going to spend more time at my home when I go out, to the point I said earlier, how am I going to enjoy that city with other people who also want to enjoy the city? So it's funny that everybody feels that. You know, the cities are these uh, incredible, uh, e even the smaller ones, they think they are melting pots. Everybody feels very proud about that, which is funny, funny, odd, that here we are talking about we want that diversity, that inclusion, when at the same time we have in the world these kind of movements or populist movements against immigration and, and things like that, which is incredible because everybody is saying from all walks of life, from all races, uh, that, that that came to my podcast at least, and I know that's a very small number of people to to be representative, but that's something that uh, that strikes me as oh okay, so we are all 
we're all the same. We want the same things, regardless of, you know, how people from Africa or the USA or from Australia, Europe. And at the end, everybody, you know, kind of wants the same, basically a better life, a better city, a, a better place to express yourself and find opportunity for your family and your friends and yourself. Yeah. Oh, there's not much to um, disagree with. Uh, and yeah, and I think Jess, some interesting views on this. And I think her, her book, uh, Glimpses of Utopia, definitely worth a, a plug as well. Um, now, we're, we're moving towards my last uh, couple of questions. And, um, you know, you, you've mentioned the pandemic a number of times. And, and I think timeouts uh, pivot, if you want to call it that, has been, you know, one of the most um impressive that i've seen i mean as you say i imagine you know march 2020 for a business that's built around going out and helping people go out i mean the world probably changed more than most and obviously the sector you represent as well was really disproportionately impacted but i noticed you know you really sort of shifted uh with the the sort of the time in initiative and it'd be great to tell us a little bit about that it was such a great response you know in challenging times well um let me you know, the narrative, let me paint the story. So there we are, we have been growing in 19, we were profitable at the end of 2019, opened five markets in 2019, everything was growing, the board was very happy. I think for the first time I was basically congratulated in the board meeting, which I was like, wow. Impressive achievement in the media world. (laughs) And then here you are in January, February, and suddenly, boom, the world stops. And if I put aside, again, the tragedy of the lives lost, which is the most terrible consequence of all of this and all the lives that have been lost, but since we don't have time for all of it, I'm just not going to talk about mm. the business. We are called timeout. Suddenly, you know, I'm talking to the general manager in Spain, Eduard Boltas, and says, well, Julio, you know, we cannot... We cannot come out with a magazine in Barcelona, in Madrid, because they are closing the town. So what do we do? I said, well, we have to publish only digital. And how do we do that? And, and I said, well, if we cannot be time out. We have to be timing. And it was automatic. It was kind of a, something that's funny, because then a friend of mine also in Spain was saying, hey, why, why are you not called timing? I said, well, you just read my mind, right? Because exactly. Uh, and... And to me was how to immediately when I said that, and I said, oh, my God, we have to design this. And I draw a video in my iPhone. I said, why don't you do something like that? And that afternoon, his designer in Barcelona did the, the, the first cut of the logo with the timeout at the outcrush. And, yeah. and, and basically, then the team in London just changed it a little bit. And then I have to convince my team, my global team, that we were moving to timing within 48 hours, which Quick. we did. And we have to decide what was it. I said, well, if timeout is the best of the city, this is the best of the city from your sofa. But all our content, everything was about going out. So how do you create, you know, a million pages of content all about going out, half of it no longer relevant because, you know, all the concerts, all the events, all the theater, movies, everything closed down. And we have to create a whole thing, a whole narrative. And for me, the most important thing, as the head of the company was, how do I give a purpose to my company? How do I go and visit a client and say, hey, do you want to advertise in time out in March 2020, April, May, when everybody is in lockdowns, very severe lockdowns that happened 
very fast around the world. So we have to reinvent ourselves, but also give a purpose to our own employees. So what am I going to do? Do I have a job? We have to follow a lot of people, let go. In our markets worldwide, that just opened so successfully in 2019, we have to close them down by law. So suddenly all these people have no jobs. And we are talking hundreds of people. And I mean, the drama of that and not knowing when you're going to reopen and how do you reopen. And obviously it was a terrible thing. And I, I personally, as a CEO, I couldn't let myself, you know, get into that feeling sorry for yourself because it was a terrible slap on our face of saying, when you were at the best going out and growing, etc., this is all gone now. It's not back to square one. It's back to square minus 10. And you have to reinvent it. And you have to convince your team, your people, the leaders and everybody else, that we do have a purpose, that we do have a reason to still be. And I'm a great believer of what brands represent and the narrative, you know, being in timeout, obviously we talk about things, so the narrative and timing allow us, allowed us immediately to pivot, to change, to say, no, no, I'm still relevant. And we are relevant. Don't count us out because people thought, well, timeout is gone, like many other places, but with that name, you're gone. And allow us to stay there, to still be relevant, to still, you know, sell advertising and to, and to prepare for reopening of the markets. And then together with other campaigns that the, the, the editorial team came up with, like Love Local campaign, which we have done similar things like, you know, let, let's fight for the local places that were reopening in the first summer and, and, and how do we help them and, you know, stop reviewing. You know, if there is somebody opening something, don't, don't give them a, a two-star review out of five. Just don't give them stars. And we stopped putting stars reviews for over a year. Mm. Um, and because we wanted to celebrate the, the, the few people who were trying to open a business or a local business or something. And, and I think that that gave us, again, the purpose, the reason, the raison d'etre, the, the French will say, you know, the reason for being still a company. And even though it was very dramatic and we lost a lot of money and we lost people and, and uh, what we didn't lose was the North. We knew by having a purpose, by having a direction, that we have to start rewriting thousands and thousands of articles and everybody was like, you know, excited about, oh my God, I have to do this in the next you know, week or days. And everybody was so involved in making sure that we were relevant and we had a purpose that in itself was a very good moment. People stopped thinking about a lot of other big problems in life that we all had, you know, how is life gonna be now? <laughs> What does it mean? I'm home all day long. And, 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 and that, that transformation for me is uh, something that I will never forget. Something that I know my, my colleagues and all the teams of Time Out, in particular the leadership team, uh, you know, uh, will mark their lives and their careers because that's where innovation and creativity and resilience, resilience, made a big difference for us. And, you know, we are back now open, all the markets have opened around the world and, and growing. And, you know, even though there is no tourism or very little tourism and travel, things are opening up more and more. It's great to see, you know, Portugal, Lisbon, every day full of people, thousands of people and New York, you know, the weekends, you couldn't tell there are no tourists because it's full. And, 
And it's good to see that, and it's good to see how our advertisers are slowly coming back and how time mean now is time out again. And as it's a good learning for all of us, and for me particularly, and, you know, going through such a life-defining moment, both personally, for the tragedy, and professionally, that, uh, you know, I had, you know, we have to go to the stock market to raise money twice during COVID, imagine. And so I'm very grateful for all the shareholders and uh, that and the board of directors that kept believing that, you know, we had still a place, uh, whether timing or time out or both. Uh, and that was very humbling and a lot of learning and a lot of drama. And, uh, you know, suddenly you are, also being the psychologist of your team when you're having people at, at their home through Zoom or Google Hangout and you have the children around them and they're crying and their dogs around or they have some personal drama and suddenly you are in each other's lives. So all the conventional wisdom of how to operate and run a company change overnight. And we have to adapt as we were in the middle of it. You know, there was no book written for this. We all have been writing the book and a time out, we wrote a small book, but we wrote our book. And, and here we are, still alive to, to tell you. Yeah, well, um, yeah, thank goodness. Coming out of the other side, I think we're going to need time out more than ever. Uh, look, I mean, it's, it's an incredible response, really, uh, you know, in, in challenging, um, you know, circumstances. I know sometimes that obviously brings out the most inventive, resourceful, entrepreneurial solutions, you know, when you find yourselves in, in, in that moment. But I think for me, it's one of one of the best stories, because it's, it's hard to think of an, an industry that's been more impacted by something like COVID so extraordinary. But look, that, that leads us neatly onto the future. And, and really, it's my, my closing question is, so what does the future hold for timeout? I mean, and how do you see the space that timeout's in, whether it's experience, economy, media? How does this develop? If you Again, if you had to make predictions over the next, you know, five years, 10 years, if that's even possible in such a fast-changing world. But what happens from here? Well, for timeout, the, the future looks bright and much brighter than the last two years uh, with a renewed purpose and, and serving the consumer and, you know, you see this pent up demand and you see, I mean, if you go to the city in London or in Madrid, I was at weekend, and it's full. People are going out and they want to go out, etc. You know, some measures, some people with masks or no masks, etc. PCR tests. I have done so many tests now that I don't have any brain matter left because every time they take a little bit. <laughs> but... Um, the, the, the future, to me, I, we are social animals. And that means, I've been saying that from the beginning, that we will go back to what we know. Yes, there are changes and uh, better ways of working, you know, a timeout. We now have flexi work, meaning you don't have to go to the office. Um, and you just, you know, go there if you want to. And if you don't want to, you don't. And and it has allowed us to look at the world in a different way and hopefully better for people, not commuting as much or only when it's needed. Um, I can see a world where I think we are appreciating a bit more what we've got because of what we lost personally and professionally. And that also, but that because we are social animals, of course, we're going to go back to what we know, which is going out, seeing what other people do. 
learning from other cultures, going out and having great food and great movies. And yet you have also your streaming at home, but you also want to go to see Bond in the big screen and maybe in the Avengers and maybe in some of the smaller movies, maybe you don't see in a big screen, but you see it at home, which is okay. It's another distribution platform. So there are things that, that I think collectively, collectively will improve uh, for us uh, as a species, if you want. Um, because now we know that we can do this and we know that we can adapt to something as crazy as being months and months, you know, at home, like it happened in London or in Spain or in Sydney and Melbourne, you know, lockdowns, terrible lockdowns all over the world. And we were able to survive in the main. And I think that looking forward, the, yes, there will be some cost implications in the short term with, you know, travel being more expensive because everything is coming more expensive for all the reasons that I don't need to discuss, but you see it already. Yeah. And that means that we're going to have some, a couple of years or three years of adapting to that new reality. And then three years later, we'll have again, like the boom with the low cost will be a different kind of boom with the travel again and other type of trips, uh, fusion travel that you will mix something that you do, not just what you see, you're not just a spectator, you're going to do things while you're there, whether it's charity or sustainability or helping, etc. I think that kind of travel, but it will be still people will go out because we all want to know the world, we want to see if we can, how other people live. And, and because, as I said, we are social animals, we understand our world because we, we need to explain it to ourselves and we need to rationalize it and we need to talk to other people and we have to share because we love sharing the experience. So the experience economy, uh, the experience travel is here to stay and will continue. And we'll see other forms evolving from that. But I I would imagine that in within five years, we will have record times again for travel. I can see how uh, there will be more travel uh, than ever. You know, we even have now galactic travel, for goodness sake, putting aside the billionaire's vanity projects. But I mean, the idea that you could go into travel. Yeah, the technology is moving there, yeah. To space, sorry. (laughs) I mean, so no, I think uh, the future for travel and for entertainment will be great. And do you think, um, just as you were were talking about, obviously, there's there's a bright future for cities. But of course, we know that with all the changes of the pandemic, you know, changes in work life balances that you've mentioned. It's interesting. I live in Australia now. Australia was dominated by its big cities, but we're, we're getting the sea changes, the tree changes where um, you know, the cities are hardly emptying out, but the, for the first time in Australia, like regional areas, I, I live in a place called Geelong, which would have been like a secondary city to Melbourne, but, you know, it's predicted to like double in size. Uh, is time out suddenly also going to have a market? You know, are, are the regions or the places outside the cities going to get much more exciting? Are new experiences going to happen there, whether it's in, you know, natural environments? Who, 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 who names it? I mean, is, is tourism going to change dramatically, you know? Are we, going to discover, are we going to discover more local for those that don't want to travel for climate issues, you know? I was going to say the local travel is here to stay. You know, discover your city, your backyard, rediscover your country, your region. I think that's something people have discovered and they like it. Oh, well, I never, I live in the city. I never went to the east or to the west or this and that. And so I think that's something that now is going to be part of your daily life in the same way that non-commuting will be part of your life and not just commuting as it used to be before. 
Uh, I also know people who, during COVID, said, oh, I'm going to move to the countryside. And now they're moving back because, you know, uh-huh. after a while of the countryside, they said, oh, well, that's okay, but I still need the vibrancy of a city and the culture and the people in that city and going out with friends. And if I leave an hour or two hours away from the city and there's nothing around me, you know, to meet people is very difficult, right? Uh, other than your local pub or your local your neighbors. And so obviously there are pros and cons. And I think that it has allowed us allowed us as species to, you know, to go out and see other things and contrast and compare. And once you contrast and compare, then you said, okay, I'm going to keep that if I can, and I'm going to drop that, and now I'm going to do this, and I'm going to make sure that my maybe my, my leisure time is much more useful to me and rather than just something that I'm doing because I'm bored. Great. Well, look, I think that's uh, it's an optimistic note to, to end on, isn't it? And uh, look, that that's the end of my formal questions. I don't know if there's anything else that you would like to say, Julia, that we've missed, that we've not touched upon. Well, no, thank you. I, I think that, uh, as I, I think I said, most of what I needed to say, uh, yes, I'm an optimistic man by nature, and I do believe in human nature that eventually we find our way through all the pain and all the mistakes and we take 17 steps back and then maybe only five forward and then we take another 10 forward and kind of we are there again. And I do believe, as I said, that as social animals that we are, we find our way. This has given us a lot of food for thought, a lot of pain, and pain is a vehicle of consciousness, right? When you hurt, is something is your body's telling you something is wrong. And, you know, with all mental health issues that we have gone through, COVID have been phenomenally complex. And obviously I'm not an expert, but I, but I have seen and I have lived them uh, through friends and family and employees and colleagues. Um, I think that we are all learning from that and, and, and we are becoming, and we will become better because of it. It's not just being optimistic. I see that as a species, we, we, we grow. And this has made us grow very, very, very fast and, and put in perspective the things that are important in your life, your loved ones, your family, your friends, the things that are important to each one of us. And COVID, awful that it is, has given us time, you know, pause in our life and, 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 and you know, look back into our lives and said, do I really want to live this life this way? Or let me let me make some changes, and I think that's where we are, all of us now. Yeah, yeah. No, I think you're you're absolutely right on that. Well, look, um, uh, I'm incredibly appreciative of, of your time. It's it's flown by. I think we've been chatting for for nearly an hour. But thank you so much for for joining us on See Things Differently, Julio. And look, I, and I very much look forward to catching up again uh, in in person. You're always great company, and it'd be nice to you know do these conversations over a glass of something next time. That's true. That would be great. Okay. Well, thank you um, and see you soon. So thanks for staying with us. And that's a wrap for this episode. Another great guest will follow in our next edition. I'm Peter Tullen. And if you like what you hear, there are literally hundreds more talks from Remix events all around the globe at remixsummits.com. And as mentioned, many of them are free. If you want to support Remix, then you can subscribe to access all of our latest and upcoming talks from Remix events. And if you're in Australia, our next Remix Summit takes place in Sydney 
on the 8th to 9th of March. Thanks for joining us.